0: Recently, I watched a movie that could probably be classified as a psychological thriller that was admittedly pretty dark and intense. And the basic plots of the movie, I hope I'm not going to give too much away, this the, the, well, let me rather say the scene of the movie is this multi-Michelin-starred restaurant in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of these mountains and these beautiful lakes. And in order to get there, you had to travel far, and then you had to take this ferry across the lake to this island where this beautiful, famous restaurant was. So because of the fact that it was tough to access the restaurant as well as the price tag, pretty much most of the characters in the movie were characters of of fame and and extreme wealth. And now one of the particular characters in the movie, he was probably the least famous or the least wealthy, but he was probably the biggest food geek in the the whole series of the cast. And um, at some point you know, the food starts coming out and he's sitting with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's just rolling her eyes because he's just nerding out and geeking out on the food and he's talking about the foams and the emulsions and the gels and all this crazy science that goes into making this awesome food. And as he's going on, he's just getting high and high and high on food. His girlfriend's getting more and more bored. And then at some point, again, hopefully I'm not giving too much away, but the main chef is played by Ralph Fiennes brilliantly and he comes out And he tries to prove this point and he takes this guy and he puts him in the kitchen and he says, okay, you apparently know everything there is to know about food and all the fancy elements that go into food. Let's put that to the test. Cook us a meal. And immediately you could see that while this guy knew Everything about food and food science. He didn't know the first thing about how to hold a knife, how to chop something, what ingredients go together, how to fry some lamb chops, and he made a total mess of it. And I love that metaphor and that challenge for us as Christians because it is so easy for us to know things and talk about things, and I can argue doctrine, and I can prove my points, particularly as we are doing the series called Unstoppable on the work of the spirits. And this is an area that people love arguing, people love proving their points, people love being right. And as we've tried to navigate this series, we've tried to come to terms with some of the biblical teaching of this, but that is not enough. It is not enough to know everything. It is not enough to have my doctrine lined up so that I can be proved right. Rather, at some point, I need to put it into practice. I need to not know about the doctrine of the spirits. I also need to know how to be led by the spirits. And so last week, we started talking about spiritual gifts, how spiritual gifts, remember the metaphor for those of you who weren't here, if we picture ourselves like a glove, God is like the hand in the glove where God is doing the work through us. That is what a spiritual gift is. Part of the, uh, the conversation last week was the big why, why, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? And we saw there are multiple reasons why God gives us spiritual gifts. Some of those reasons are to build the church, to edify the church, to encourage the church. Some of those reasons are for God's presence to be manifest, to be revealed, for the gospel to be confirmed. And for God to get more glory, in other words, if we want to see more glory, we want to see more of God's work, more of God's presence. One of the main ways God does that is by moving us into action, where we don't just become a hive of busyness, but we become those gloves through whom God's presence acts and moves through spiritual gifts. And so today is going to be super practical. We've covered so much theology in the last few weeks. I love this phrase. I wrote it down a few months ago. I can't remember who I got it from. But today is going to be where super practical meets supernatural. Where super practical meets supernatural. But before we get into some of these concrete ideas, Remember the the main metaphor in the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul is drawing on to describe who we are as a church and how God works in and through His church. He says, we are the body of Christ. And each one of us are placed in the body by the Spirit. And now if you think about a physical body, on one hand, yes, I only have two hands and two feet. I don't need 10 hands. I don't need three feet. Some of you moms are like, I wish I had 10 hands. But think about what starts to happen when you lose the function of one of your body parts. Think about what starts to happen. Let's say you break a finger and you've got to wrap up that hand and you cannot use it. Oh, that's like, what, 1% of your body? Who cares? 99% is still working. Is that how it works? No, the whole body suffers. Maybe you break your pinky toe. That's like 0.0 something percent of our body, and yet the whole body suffers. How much more when we lose our sight, when we lose the function of our tongue, or our kidneys, or our liver? Now imagine not only do we lose the function of one part, but multiple parts. All right, there's a technical word for that, it's called organ failure. It's called dying. And yet we as a church are so happy to often operate like that. Where we come to hear the anointed guy on the stage. And he's doing the work. And and we've got the anointed worship leaders. And she's doing the work. And I'm here in the anointed presence of the few. And yet from God's perspective, we're more like a zombie church than anything else. And so the big challenge is, this is true for everyone every single one of us that it is not enough for us to come and sit and hear good sermons. Hopefully you do hear good sermons. But at some point, we all need to step into action, put this into practice. And the more we do that, the more of God's grace, the more of God's glory, the more of His power and love, we will start seeing among us. So that's the big vision. And that is, for every single one of us to think about. But I don't say this to guilt you. I know we've had a a financial discussion. I'm feeling guilty about that. And and now we're talking about gifts and I'm feeling guilty about that. We don't want to be guilt-driven. We want to be gift-driven. When we all start to get the big why, when we start to understand the potential of a church that is alive, as God's Spirit is giving gifts and hand in glove working through all the members of the church. And so today is about moving practically forward as a church in this. And so today we're going to start with a number of places we need to be eager, starting with where we stopped last week. And while we did talk about this last week, I believe we just have to double click on this again. And the first thing is for us to be eager. Eager in heart. It starts with our heart. It starts with our posture. 1 Corinthians 14 verses 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Starting with following the way of love. I'm not responding to the sermon because I feel guilty, because I feel bad and the church needs somebody to do something. Okay, I'll do it. No, we get how we were first loved. And now we want to learn to love God. And it's more than simply raising our arms in worship, though it definitely includes that. But what does it mean to love God with my gifts and my time and my talents? And what does it mean to love and serve others? And so our primary motivation, remember what we called it last week, empowered love putting God's love into action, empowered by His very own power and presence. And so we prioritize the motivation of love and then it moves us towards eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. If that is God's vision for the church, as I said last week, God wants us to want this very bad. And so what God desires for us becomes our desire for God's church. And so we follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And starting off with my posture of heart, number one, being eager in heart. Number two, being eager to ask. There's this idea that some people have, well, you know, Stephen, we've read through this chapter and we see that God is sovereign in giving gifts. God is sovereign in distributing gifts as He wills, as He chooses And so I'm going to leave it up to God. I'm just going to carry on with life. I'm going to carry on doing my thing. And if God sovereignly wants to give me a gift, then He can do it. And when He gives me the gift, then I'll see what I can do with it. Well, imagine we did all of our Christian life like that. You know, Lord, I'm really praying or concerned for the salvation of my husband. But Lord, I know You're sovereign in salvation, so I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to seek. I'm just going to trust You. When You feel like saving my husband, then we'll see where to take things from there. But it's up to You, God. Is that what we do? No. We pray. We come burdened before the Lord. And when people are saved, do we give ourselves the glory? No. We give God the glory what about if we're in a tough financial position, whether it's us as a church or you as a family? Do we go, oh, you know, Lord, you're sovereign. You are in the cattle on a thousand hills. And when you feel good and ready, you know, you'll help me out. And until then, I'm just going to do nothing from my side. Is that what we do? No, we get in on our knees and we pray. See something else about God's sovereignty? God has sovereignly chosen to work through prayer. And so God, in fact, has commanded us to ask. To ask for spiritual gifts. Let's see one of the places He does this. Luke 11, verses 9 to 13. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Just look at this progression from ask to seek to knock. This isn't just... Oh, well, Steve kind of prayed a sermon, a prayer at the end of the sermon where he kind of asked, and I kind of said, Amen, and so job done. Can you see there is this persevering, this stepping up of going from asking to seeking to knocking on the door of God's heart that shows a perseverance and an intensity, a willingness and a desire for me to come to God with these things. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers or mothers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. We're not perfect parents, but we desire to give our children good things. How much more Will your Father, you can insert perfect, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Once again, God wants us to want this really, really badly. As we eagerly desire the good gifts that our Father wants to give us, the ways in which His Spirit can move among us, And so He's calling us to ask. And when He responds with the giving of gifts, we don't take the glory for that. We still see God's sovereignty in that. But there's this mystery we're being invited into. So we have to be eager to ask. Number three, we have to be eager to learn. Now there's two sides to learning. The one side is we're going to be learning about what the Scriptures have to say We're going to be learning about what some of the more helpful books and theologians have to say about this kind of thing. It's kind of our intellectual understanding, learning the truth about the Spirit and the truth about how these gifts work. But the other side of learning is maybe better uh, described by the word apprentice. It's what a disciple is. It's where I start putting it into practice. For example, when it comes to a golf swing, I've got it all 100% up here in my head, 100%. The only problem is my body is about 98% behind. You See, I haven't apprenticed what I know with my head. And in order to improve in a sport like golf, I need to put it into practice. I need to learn how to take the theory and discipline myself, have some feedback mechanisms. Someone filming me with the phone or, or someone just watching my swing and saying, Stephen, don't do this, do that. And helping me, me being inspired and, and encouraged by other people. And in the same way, that is how we learn. We need to be eager to learn. I can promise you this. Charles Spurgeon didn't come out the womb preaching to thousands of people. Every single gifted leader, every single gifted Christian had to start somewhere, had to learn how to crawl before they walked, before they ran. So we need to be eager to do that. And part of that is to eagerly study the Scriptures. So what I'm going to put up on the screen are the four main passages that describe spiritual gifts. We are not going to go through all the passages. We're not going to look at some of the subtle differences between the passages. I encourage you to take a screenshot with this on your phone and if you want to eagerly learn, if you want to eagerly grow, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, go and read these passages for yourself on repeat. God, as I come before your Word, give me insight into your Word. Give me insights as to how you work, how you operate, the kinds of things I can expect from you, the sovereign giver of gifts. But here what I've simply done is itemized the spiritual gifts from these four main uh, passages. And I just want to make a few comments on what we have on the screen behind me. And the first is something I did touch on last week, and that is this. Every single gift on this screen from those four passages are charismatic gifts. We make a deadly mistake when we add a human division into these gifts and we say, oh, those gifts like you know, being an apostle or tongues, prophecy, miracles, those are charismatic gifts and the other gifts are kind of natural gifts because I've only got the gift of helps. I've only got the gifts of administration. I can't perform miracles That is something we're imposing onto Scripture. The big idea is that every single gift on the screen is charismatic in the sense that it is empowered by God's Spirit. It is God's Spirit being made manifest through your obedience, putting this into action. And so yes, while it may seem more obvious when someone is healed in response to prayer, and maybe in our own minds, it may seem less obvious when I'm serving with the gift of helps. The bigger day is this. Let me not just serve with the gifts of helps, but Lord, empower my service. May those who are on the receiving end of my helping, may it feel to them as if you yourself are serving them. Can you see the difference? Every single one of those gifts are gifts that we can attempt in the flesh or we can submit ourselves to the real goal of this gift and that is for God to manifest Himself through these gifts. All of them are charismatic gifts. Thought number two on the screen is that this is not meant to be a limited menu. There are certain ways that we see God empowering people in the Old and the New Testament that aren't represented by any of these gifts on the screen. In other words, while these may be some of the main or more common or more primary ways that God gifts people in and through the church so that we can better be the body of Christ, we are not limited to this. Rather, there are so many ways that God can use us if we are available to Him and if we are led and empowered by His Spirit. A third comment I want to make on this is that there are some things on this list That every Christian has to do. For example, every Christian is called to grow in what it means to share their faith, to evangelize. And God empowers in a higher level some Christians with the gift of evangelism. We would make a mistake if we were to say, I don't need to share my faith because Craig has the gift of evangelism. We're all called to give. We're all called to be generous. Some Christians are given the spiritual gift of generosity. And so don't make the mistake of saying, well, I don't need to do some of these things because we have some other gifted people. It's rather, it's a both and rather than an either or. The next thought I want to give you is that most of these gifts are not a job description. Meaning there is no worship team spiritual gift. There is no kids ministry, spiritual gifts. Rather, the big idea is God gives a gift and I am serving and we're gonna get to this in a second. I'm serving somewhere, I'm loving people, I'm involved in a ministry and God takes my particular gifts and uses me in that particular ministry. For example, let's say you have been given the, the spiritual gifts of prophecy, but your heart is for children. Imagine you came during the week. Lord, would you give me just, would you exercise this gift through me for these children? Would you lay a child on my heart? Would you lead me to what I can pray for them? How I can encourage them, how I can comfort them on Sunday. And so when you rock up there, yes, you've got your material. Yes, you've got your outline for the Sunday, but also God is doing something in and through you as you exercise that gift. The same could be true of someone with the same gift in the worship ministry. You've got a passion, a skill, a talent to sing, play guitar, whatever the case might be. You've got a passion for helping the church glorify God in song and worship. But Lord, why don't you give me a sense of just how it is you want to touch people today, encourage the church, strengthen the church, comfort the church today. And so a spiritual gift does not necessarily equal a job description. Let me even take it one step further. Yeah, but Stephen, I'm, in inverted commas, I'm just in the car park ministry. I'm just, you know, a car guard. That's all I'm doing. Well, let's say, for example, that was the need. That's where you signed up. That's part of your, in inverted commas, job description. But God starts growing a prophetic heart in you. Imagine you rocked up on Sunday, not just to point people as to where they're going to park, but Lord, won't you just show me someone who needs encouragement this morning. Show me someone who needs some comfort. And Lord, as these cars come in, I'm just going to keep an ear open to heaven. And Lord, when you show me, I'm just going to go to them. I'm going to ask them how they're doing. And I'm going to just be obedient in this space. Just as we think, beyond some of our human categories, I believe the options for ministry get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, as we look at this list, just imagine all of these words became true amongst us. Imagine we started seeing people operating in a gifted way in the prophetic, gifted serving, gifted teaching, gifted leadership, gifted giving, gifted miracles, gifted faith gifted people operating in all of these ways. Can you see the more that starts to happen, how Jesus builds his church hand in glove? Stephen, you know, I look at all these gifts. I don't even know where to start. How do I know what my spiritual gift is? Well, I want to speak quickly about a way, a way to try and figure out what your spiritual gifts may be. And when I talk about this, I always want to say, while it is a way and for some it's a good way, it's probably not the best way, but let me talk about spiritual gifts questionnaires. Spiritual gifts questionnaires, a whole lot of you sit down for 45 minutes, answer a whole lot of questions, tally it up, and then you'll start to see some sort of trend that may indicate your spiritual gifts. And so there's some strengths and weaknesses to this. The strengths are, it's probably a great place to start. If you're sitting there, you don't know where to start. You've read the Scriptures and you're still even more confused. It's a way to get the ball rolling. It's a way to expose you to the passages of Scripture, to the ways that God can use you and to prayerfully come before God and say, God, won't you use this tool in your hands and just move me in a direction? It's a good start. And so for some of you, a spiritual gifts questionnaire is maybe the next best thing to try. If you want to do that, if you go to our website, scroll all the way down, you'll see a link there. Or if you go into our app, if you go on the homepage, you'll see a link there, a great place for you to start. So that's maybe one of the strengths. But some of the weaknesses is that we become so obsessed with discovering, you know, my secret spiritual gift. And I'm not going to do anything until I find out what the secret gift is in my life. The other reality is sometimes God gives us new things. I mean, for example, let's say you've never spoken in tongues. And so absolutely, every time the question comes up, have you ever spoken in a language that you've never learned? No. Have you ever spoken in tongues in worship? No. And so you might wrongly conclude that that's it. That's the end of the story. But God is the God of new things. God is the God who always gives That is true of my life. When I was first called into ministry, my assumption was that it was more in the worship ministry space. I had zero desire to preach. When I was at theological college, all my friends were studying Spurgeon and taking out books on preaching. And to be honest, I couldn't care less. But then God started planting a new seed in my life. And God started doing a new thing in my life. And here I am, for good or for bad, preaching to you today. So Stephen, if spiritual gifts are a start, but maybe not the best way, can you give us a better way? And that's gonna lead me to point number four, and that is this, be eager to love and to serve. I don't know if the early Christians had a spiritual gifts questionnaire. It's just like, Love God, love others, go for it. God, I need you. Give me what I need to love you and to love others, to serve needs, to serve people. So instead of waiting for the secret spiritual gifts to kind of be written on your wall in the middle of the night, listen, if God does that, go for it. Just find out if your wife's playing a trick on you first. You've been given the spiritual gift of buying flowers every day. (laughs) Be suspicious. Outside of that, just step out and start loving God and loving others. With the heart of saying, God, as I do this, give me what I need. I can do this in my own strength and I'm gonna do this in faith, but God, would you be the hand in this glove? So here's a few thoughts as we are eager to love and serve. The first thought is, look for opportunities. Wake up every day. Lord, would you lead me by your Spirit so that there are opportunities for me to be there and somehow be that glove through whom you work your grace, your love, your power. Ask for God to lead you. Number two, look where God is working. We look at God, He's already working. It's not always easy, but this was literally Jesus' MO. Listen to John 5 verses 19. This is Jesus himself. He says the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. So apparently the way Jesus works is not, "Oh, let me be busy for God." But somehow through the presence of the Spirit, and yes, he was Jesus, he had a perfect relationship with God. And so he could see things that we couldn't always see. But apparently he somehow went out with a Holy Spirit radar or the Father's work radar. And he could see, oh, here's where the Father's at work. And so I would go and join there. Oh, the Father's at work in this man's life and wants to heal him. Okay, let me go there. Now you and I, we know in part, we prophesy in part, we see in part. We don't have the same kind of clarity, but I do suspect that when Paul talks about being led by the Spirit, this is part of it. Learning to be in communion with God, in relationship with God, looking for opportunities, being eager, and then seeing how God leads. Lord, show me where you are at work and I will join you, even if it scares the living daylight. out of me. So look for opportunities, look where God is working. Number three, look for need. You're gonna come across lots of people with need. God, how do I love this person with need? Maybe I don't have the finances to bless them financially, but how do you want to use me here? Maybe you're gonna invite them for a cup of coffee and just listen to them and say, I don't know how to do any more than this, but I'm gonna pray for you. And if you need to talk, I'll be there for you. Every single person in this room can do that. But as we do that, as we drive to that coffee appointment, oh Lord, would you use me? I'm here. There's a need. And they don't need me, they need you, but but I'm the glove and you're the hand. Sometimes it works in a church space. Here's another wake up call. There is no spiritual gift of packing chairs and pouring tea. No, 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 I don't do that. I don't have that spiritual gifts. Some of you do that because you do have the gift of helps. And once again, we can do that in the flesh. Ugh. Or Lord, as I do this today, I avail myself to you. Would you somehow, just as I serve and help people, would there be something of your breath on this? Maybe you've got the gift of encouragement. But the need was, we need people in the car park. We need people to help set up. We need people to help pour tea. Oh, but I've got the gift of encouragement. That's not where I'm needed. Okay, I'm going to sign up for the team. Lord, as I arrive today, and as I'm, listen, our team that pours tea and coffee, they're exposed to more Riversiders on a Sunday than anybody else. Hey, Lord, if would you just show me someone who needs encouragement? And as you show me someone who needs encouragement, yes, I'm busy pouring tea, but I'm listening to them. Well, God, would you just give me a sense of how I can encourage them? Can you see how? These are not job descriptions, but as there's need, as we say, hey guys, there's a mission trip coming on. Hey, we need some people to get involved in kids ministry. We need some people to help in the car park ministry, which by the way, we do. We need people to help with the service team. We need some people to roll up their sleeves and get involved. Doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is, if there's a need, the spiritual gifts are for the common good, 1 Corinthians 12 verses seven, which means that all of us are gonna get involved, but you're gonna be used in different ways as you serve in this place of need. And then finally, look for fruit. Now this can be an area where there can be blind spots. Confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. A kind of self-appointed prophets, the self-appointed watchmen. Just go online. There's it's like hundreds of self-appointed watchmen. And they're not part of any local church, but oh no, they've got authority over all the local churches of the world. Be very careful of those kinds of people. Don't get sucked into that. Self-appointed prophets, self-appointed apostles, self-appointed what we had someone. In, in, in one of our stories. No, 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 I've got the gift of teaching. Oh, what? tell me about it. No, listen, I can sell ice to Eskimos. Wow, that sounds amazing. I really want to lead a small group because I've got this gift. Okay, wait, hang on a sec. Let me just go chat to your life group leader. Hey, Mr. Life Group leader, so-and-so feels like they've got the gift of teaching and they can sell ice to Eskimos. What do you think? Don't let him do a thing. Every time he talks, he goes on and on and on and on. And we're more confused after than before. So there can be blind spots. But on the other hand, we can sometimes miss how God is using me. Where there is fruit. And this is often when someone's going to come up to you and say, you know what? Every time you pray in life group, it's almost like you've got God's heartbeat. And the, the things you pray for just seem to be where God's at. And, and there's fruit from that. Let's explore that. Or every time you encourage somebody, I don't have the spiritual gifts of encouragement. People go away from me discouraged rather than encouraged. But hey, listen, when you encourage somebody, you just give them a smile and a wave and, and a few words, but it says God Himself encouraged them. And so we look for fruit. The more we see people lean in as we use our gifts, the more we see fruit, maybe we're onto something. Now, here's what this is gonna look like. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 12, 7 earlier that the spiritual gifts are given for the common good. What that is gonna look like at some point is all the people that God has given to this church as we step into using our spiritual gifts, being part of the body, not just knowing things, but doing things. What that's going to look like is actually signing up for ministries. And I've tried to give you some examples of how regardless of your spiritual gifts, as need is made available, as you look at your own passions, the way God has made you and led you and directed you, you're going to sign up for a ministry. Now, what that sometimes honestly looks like is you sign up for a year, and, oh, you have a great time. You, you meet some new leaders. You, you make some friends and God uses you. But there's something in you that says, Yeah, I'm, I still feel like a round peg in a square hole. You know, next year I'm going to sign up for a different ministry. And I meet a new team. And I meet some more people. But I'm going to serve and I'm going to love people and I'm going to ask God to give me what I need in order to be the glove in whom the hand of God can work. And as we become these people who have moved from passive to active, and as we prayerfully follow God, I know one pastor pastor said anecdotally, it's often on like your, your third ministry position that you're starting to find your sweet spots. And so as we step into our spiritual gifts, that is going to look like us serving for the common good in functional ministries. And not all, And what that's going to look like is, listen, God doesn't turn on the spiritual gifts when you rock up for ministry time. If God has gifted you in this way, that is there all the time. And so yes, how do I use this gift in this particular ministry that I've signed up for? And how do I wake up every morning and be available for God to use me? Every day, God, I'm here to love others with your love in an empowered way. God, would you lead me? Would you direct me? Who to say things to? What to say? How I can pray for people, encourage people, strengthen people, comfort people? God, I'm available. Whether it's my family, my colleagues, I rock up at a life group. Maybe you're not the one leading life group, but you've come to life group saying, God, I wanna be part of your work here tonight. On a Sunday, God, I want to be used by you, not just to guide on the stage. Show me who I can minister to, who I can exercise your grace to. This is the big goal of spiritual gifts. And so maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, Stephen, that sounds really overwhelming. I need to like, you know, navigate all those gifts that we had on the screen earlier. I don't know where to start. I'll do the questionnaire. But now you're saying I'm on all the time, well, Listen, newsflash, that's what it means to be a Christian. We're a Christian all the time. And we want to be used by God all the time, but I know it can be overwhelming, which is why we need the body of Christ. It does not rise and fall with one person, but the body being the body. And so we collectively are meeting the need. We collectively are engaging in faith in this way. Some of you are not so much feeling overwhelmed by this, but you're saying, Stephen, you know, that's fine, but time out. This part of the body is, at this point in time, injured. Life has just come and given you a left and a right and an uppercut. This part of the body in Christ has been hurt. In relationships, marriage, in church ministry, and so Lord, I mean, Stephen, I, I hear what you're saying, but, but right now I'm in recovery mode. And you know what? That's okay. Which is once again why we need the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. So when you are in spiritual ICU, there are people around you who are the body of Christ to you, who can minister to you, support you, encourage you, pray for you, trust God for you serve you the grace and the love of God. And then when you heal, when you recover, you step into that space again and you become available to God to move in other people's lives in their time of need. But some of us, that's not where we're at. Some of us can probably best be described by a metaphor I want to use here, and that is, For those of you who have been to Israel or or you've heard this, I mean, it's all in the Bible stories. There are two major inland seas in Israel. There's the Sea of Galilee in the north. That's where a lot of Jesus' stories and parables happened. And there is the Dead Sea in the south. Now, the Dead Sea is truly true to its name. It is dead, deader than dead. Because of the salt contents, as far as I understand, not only can fish and plants not live there, but even bacteria cannot live there. It is dead. Do you know that both the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee are fed by the same life-giving river, the River Jordan? Here's the difference. The Dead Sea has an inlet from the north and no outlets. And so life-giving, fresh water comes in. The only place for it to go is up in evaporation, out into the atmosphere, leaving behind a dead inactive sea. The Sea of Galilee, on the other hand, is also fed by its north, but it's also got an outlet on its southern side. And the Sea of Galilee is surrounded by just green plants, green trees. It is filled with fish and all sorts of life. And so it is fed and it has an outlet. And for some of us here, and only God can just confirm in your own heart if this is you, The reason for your current state of spiritual deadness is because your mindset is, I'm going to come and receive and I'm going to do nothing with it. And the truth is, when we do that, we do become dead. And yes, I listen to more sermons. In other words, I receive more. I go to church even when I don't feel like it and I'm receiving, I'm receiving, I'm receiving. But why do I feel so spiritually dead? For some of us, it's because we are not the body of Christ. There is such life, not when we sign up to a ministry because Steve made me feel bad. We're not guilt driven, we're gift driven. There is something to be said and I've heard all your stories. I love when you share your stories with me when you're at the coalface of seeing what God does through you in somebody else's life. There is nothing that describes that. The joy of going, wow, God, I'm so humbled. I know you used me, but what you did there just blows my mind. And that joy is when we go from being the Dead Sea to the Sea of Galilee. We do need to continue receiving But as we freely receive, we learn to freely give. Serving God's grace in its various forms. I want to end off with this great scene from C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. First, I was very confused the first time I saw this because Father Christmas rocks up. I was like, this is fantasy. What's Father Christmas? I mean, I know Father Christmas is fantasy, but you know, it's like, can't you make up another character? Anyway, Father Christmas comes in. And he gives these children gifts. Lucy was given a dagger and some ointments. Peter was given a sword and a shield. And Susan was given a bow and arrow and a horn. And at first they're like, thank you, but I don't know what to do with these gifts. But as the story progresses the sense of of warring with the White Witch and her minions gets more and more real until they are literally in an all-out war against the White Witch and her minions. In other words, good versus evil. And there become these moments in the story where it looks like we're going to be overwhelmed and we need something to help us. Oh wait, what about this gift? And the way the story unravels is that every single gift was the perfect gift in the perfect time of need to help good defeat evil. What a beautiful metaphor for how God gives us spiritual gifts. Not for me, but for others through you. But God's hand in ours. And as we put them into practice, it is exactly what others need. It is exactly what the church needs. And so I just wonder how God is challenging you. Even if you are super involved already, maybe the challenge is, you know what, God, I'm going to carry on doing what I'm doing. But every time I rock up to serve, I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to say, God, listen, I'm involved But I'm just afraid that it's 99% Steve and 1% God. And so I'm just going to carry on serving, carry on rocking up. But God, would you change that ratio for me? I'm going to be eager. I'm going to desire your spiritual work in and through me. And so, God, help me become that love through whom your hand of power works. Maybe that's your conviction. Maybe some of you are saying, Stephen, you know, you spoke about this body where parts of the the body doesn't function and the rest of the body suffers. And maybe some of the real burnout that happens in churches, both with full-time people in ministry as well as volunteers, is because they're carrying the burden of the whole church. And, And maybe some of you, God's just saying, without making you feel guilty, but maybe with some conviction, listen, it's time that you also stick up your hand. Time that you start just moving towards God. How are you wanting to use me? If your word says, according to this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, that you placed me in this church for your good purposes, lead me towards what those good purposes are and how you want to empower me for that. Maybe some of you are in a time of need. And maybe the step for you is to be involved in community so that others in the body of Christ can love you and serve you in your time of need, especially as you become vulnerable and you share your need to others. Maybe some of you, it's just the whole idea of the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Oh, Stephen, I feel spiritually dead, but God's just whispered in my heart that that's that's me. And so, yes, Lord, I've been receiving, i have receiving, but I've just become... Spiritually dead. So God, would you break the banks? Would you lead me, guide me so that I can become a source of life again? Because your word says streams of living water will flow from within us to others. And I want to be that. And so Lord, as you've been speaking, as you've been convicting, for some of us, maybe it's, I haven't been motivated by love, I want to be the anointed person. I want to be the person that is known. Everyone goes to that person. But I don't know if my motivation has always been love. And so I repent of that today. God, as we're all coming face to face with some truth about where we're at, you're inviting all of us Into a deeper and more profound way that we can step into, receiving from you, finding life in you and recovery in you through others, but from your hand. And as we in turn become life to others. God, we come to you in repentance recognizing where we've been wrong-headed or wrong-hearted. But we also come to you in faith. God, we've heard from you. And now you're calling me to take a step of faith and respond. And Father, as we prayed last week, that is what we can do. So we ask. We're eager to learn. We're eager to grow. We're eager to love and serve others. But you are the sovereign giver of your Spirit. You are the good Father. How much more will our Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So God, we ask you, and would you, the sovereign God, give? Give to us, give through us. May we be in a season of increasingly seeing how it is not just a busy church, but God is active in and through this church. Receiving glory. Confirming the goodness of your gospel. Loving people through us. Give us what we need to love each other and serve each other. And God, we pray all of this in your mighty name. Amen.